Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. A hundred and fifty days into a global pandemic. Doesn't it feel like three or four years already? And yet still, so many things you cannot control. We'll look at what you can and can't control, at least when it comes to your money this evening. You're listening to Simply Money. I'm Nathan Backrack, along with Amy Wagner. So when the pandemic began, many publications were writing articles saying, Coronavirus, five ways to control what you can, or four ways to take back control as the virus spreads. And now what we know is that's all hooey. I guess I can say that word on radio. Um, But uh, life as we know it, not the same and not in your control. When I was going to say, I think 150 days into us, the, the one thing that we do know is that nothing is in our control, even now. I remember during that time thinking, okay, well, by the fall, the kids will be back in school and I will be back in the office. Well, we just found out to, you know, this week, kids won't be going back to school until the, you know, back into the classroom until the end of September at the earliest. I have no idea if I'll see our office before 2021. And I think there's mm-hmm. a lot of you out there who still during this time struggle with the fact that there's doesn't feel like there's anything that you can control. And so uh, it, it just makes sense tonight to look at there are some things when it comes to your money that you can control. And I think this pandemic has taught us that those things are even more important now than they ever were. Yeah. And so as we have beat the drum and we have bored you to death, and I'm going to guess one or two of you when we mentioned the words emergency fund and you go, oh, that's what they're talking about for the next six minutes. Uh I'll go listen to uh, some music and I'll catch you after the break. Mm-hmm. Yeah, emergency fund. And yet, now we know for a couple of reasons. One, because you could be scared. Two, because now you're seeing the actual value of having an emergency fund. Or three, you're so flush that, whew, yeah, man, you, you're just, you've got a maid in the shade with sunglasses and you've got lots of money to put away so that the next virus that comes from somewhere around the world, you will be prepared all I'm imagining those... that not many people are in Camp C No, with their not... sunglasses and their pockets mm, full of money. <laughs> no, unless they're on an island and they're, they're the only ones there and they're not letting anybody bring in any supplies. But otherwise, I don't think so. So research from uh, CNBC would say 62% of Americans uh, can live uh, less than six months on their emergency fund. I would say for many of you, it's less than six uh, weeks. 46% report that they can't live any more than uh, three months, and nearly a quarter of Americans, that would be 24%, officially will not make it for a month with the savings that you currently have. When we were coming into this, I think it was, what, 40% of Americans didn't have $400 set aside if there was some kind of an emergency. And I have to say, you know, we talk about the fact that you need an emergency fund, and we have since the beginning of the show because... It is, it is the, like the cornerstone is the foundation of your financial plan. You can do all the investments. You can make all the smart decisions. You can put money in all the places that you need to. But if you don't have an emergency fund, it all comes crumbling down pretty quickly when an emergency comes up that you weren't anticipating. Well, we always talked about, you know, what if a medical bill comes? What if you, your HVAC unit stops working? 
never anticipating a global pandemic where millions of us, millions of Americans would be out of work at the same time. So if you didn't necessarily, if you tuned us out before when we were talking about an emergency fund, I bet you're listening now because you understand how very critical it is. And this is not an area where we like to say we told you so. It just goes to the fact that, you know, you just never know. And as we went into 2020, none of you were thinking, well, everything's going great with my investments. In fact, they'll hit almost all-time highs, but in the middle of that, the global economy will come to pretty much a screeching halt. No, that was not a prediction on anybody's list in the end of December when investment firms always give their top 10 things to worry about in 2020. It wasn't even in the top 25, maybe even in the top 50 for most of you. So what can you control? That's the subject to this evening on Simply Money. What can you control? And the only thing that you can control about your money are two things. What you pay for the advice that you get and where you put the money or what strategy do you employ. And once you have that strategy in place, and it's going to be different for every every one of you based on your needs and your goals and, and where you are in life and your plans, once you have that plan, the one thing that you can control is that you stick to it. And listen, during this time in March, you know, one of the things that we do with our clients is we talk to them pretty regularly, at least once or twice a year, you're, you're, you're talking to people. So they kind of know what our philosophy is, that we're long-term investors. Yet during March, even those clients that have been with us forever and totally get it, we're calling advisors and saying, mm, I'm biting my nails. I'm, I'm not sleeping well at night. I'm nervous. Every morning I get up. The headlines are horrible. The markets are worse. What should I be doing? And there were some people who were like, I, I got to get out. I got to get out. Advisors kind of, you know, talk them through it, talk them off the ledge and said, hey, let's remember the plan. What is your plan, right? And it's almost like therapy. What's your plan? Remind yourself of your plan. Take Stick deep to the breaths. Plan. Exactly. But Think those who thoughts. did, Imagine wait, the those sun who stuck to face. it are happy. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yes. Uh, uh, yoga would be good right about now. Whatever it or takes. hold your breath for a while. By the way, since the lows of March, just so we can uh, recount for you, since the lows of March, the S&P has uh, gone to, uh, crossed uh, over periodically in the last few days, all-time highs, uh, and remains poised to go from peak to peak with a trough in the middle. And having done that initial recovery, and I'll say that because Lord knows what's around the corner, has done that initial recovery in less than six months. The average uh, recession would be about 18 months. Now, are we in one? Will we get to one? Don't know. But markets have recovered all, almost all of what they've lost. And the question would be, were you able to control you? Because the very first time I was ever quoted in the Cincinnati Inquirer, 15, 18, 20 years ago, somebody, the, the reporter, intrepid reporter, asked, uh, what do you do, Nathan, besides talk? And I said, well, I manage emotions. And they looked at me and I said, that's right, the emotions of the people who entrust their retirements to us. Because, because they I probably can, expected you to say, I manage plans, I manage yeah, money. I manage money, I manage exchange ETFs, I manage stocks. No, 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 no. I manage emotions, in this case, yours. And I will tell you, if you have an advisor right now who's like, you know, uh, who three months, four months ago, they you could tell that they were harried and they were nervous. You want somebody like our boy Andy Stout, our chief investment officer. I can walk into Andy, I say, well, what's going on? Fine. World's going crazy? Fine. World's falling apart. And he goes, fine. You know, there's nothing that gets him 
off his game. He keeps because he can quote to you, right? Laser focus, stat after stat, in, in historical event after historical event where things looked bleak, and then once again the economy rebounded, super resilient, came back to new highs every time that there was a new low. And I think that's why Andy can remain so cool is because his brain is full of so many of those facts that all bear out the same thing. If you can stay in this for the long haul, you're going to be far better off. And we understand there are going to be things like, you know, a global pandemic, which make it really difficult to stay the course. But if you can, you can control the fact that you stick to that plan. You're going to be far better off. Now, what you have to be careful of, and maybe one of the most memorable quotes that Warren Buffett ever came up with, and lately Warren seems to be better at giving quotes than he does at giving investment advice. But one of his great quotes in 2008 was, you never know who is swimming naked until the tide goes out. At which point, mm-hmm. when the tide goes out, you may find that some of your friends aren't in as good a shape as you thought if you were to follow through on this little analogy. But here's where I'm going. Financial Advisor IQ. This is an industry publication. Every day they send out emails to everyone in the industry. We pull back the curtain. Here's what we find. Yesterday, three of the top stories were about, you guessed it, shady advisors and shady firms. What can you can control? You can control who you trust your life savings to. Because if you're not careful, either through underperformance or through outright theft or deception or because of the desire to generate commissions, the advisor that you are talking to, if you don't know what they're talking about, they could take advantage of you and commissions and overpayment exists in an environment of ignorance, which is why we are so dedicated to getting you as smart as possible so you don't become roadkill on the investment highway. But I think it's great that you make that point because for whatever reason it is, we feel, I don't know, like ashamed or stupid or whatever when we go and sit in front of an advisor and you feel like you don't know enough about money. Now, if you go to a doctor's office and, and you're asking them questions, you don't expect to be an expert on what they're going to tell you. You go to an attorney. They're the expert on the law. You don't expect them to, be, you know, to know. Yet so many of you, I think when you sit in front of an advisor, you don't want to ask questions because you don't want to feel stupid about money. Yeah. And, and Exchange traded fund. What is that? But by asking questions, you get smarter and you figure out whether the person you're sitting across from is a good fit for you. And I tell you something. If you want to know whether or not you have a good advisor, don't go with your spouse one time and then go home and try and and explain what they said to your partner. And when your partner looks at you like, what are you talking about? Well, then you realize that they were not able to make it simple enough for you to understand it so that anybody else in America could. And that means that it's too complicated and likely not in your best interest. And one final detail, and I will tell you, because I've sat across from like thousands and thousands of people over the course of 35 plus years now. And here's what I will tell you. When someone says to me, well, you're the expert, you know, just whatever you say, uh uh-uh, no way. When I hear that, I know I got to go back to square one because somebody wasn't listening because you couldn't even recite what I said. You were just like blanking out going, well, it's money. And you just because often you won't be sitting across from me or Amy or someone on our staff. You're going to be sitting across from somebody who is a predator with a pen in their hand. Who doesn't want you to understand, right? Who no. wants to throw out all these fancy terms and confuse you so that all you think is they're smarter than I am. I, I need to do this, but I don't understand what it is. And I'll tell you one of the major questions you need to be asking that person you're sitting across from. 
how do you get paid, right? If you're making these suggestions to me, put it all down on paper. What's the total cost of compensation to you, to your firm? How much richer do you get if I sign on for this? Okay, you want the total cost of ownership. Yes. So when I, we've had people have come into my office and they say, well, I'm only paying 1% with so-and-so. And then I go through it. I go, that's right. You're paying 1% to so-and-so, but that's not the question you should have asked because so-and-so gave you the answer. Oh, 1%. Fine. So-and-so is also a sub-advisor or affiliated with another firm, and they're taking another one and a half or one three quarters percent. And all of a sudden, when I say to somebody, you're paying 3% a year, they look at me like, oh, you're crazy, Nathan. And I go, really? And then we walk through the paperwork that they signed, that they said they acknowledged. And then they find out, oh, wow. And I will bet you half the time that that happens in our office when we go to brokercheck.org with the client and look up that person, we find that they're not the first person that probably, shall we say, wasn't dealt with as thoroughly and as comprehensively as you might think. So Simply Money Point, right now it feels like not much is in your control, but actually a lot is in your control. Most importantly, your emotions having an emergency fund, having a plan, and how you view and choose the advisors that you hire to help you get to a successful retirement. So has the pandemic affected your credit card debt? If not, well, if I can tell you it's hurting your friends and neighbors. We'll talk about that just ahead in three minutes. You're listening to Simply Money on 55KRC, the talk station. You're listening to Simply Money. I'm Nathan Beckrack along with Amy Wagner. Getting your credit in shape without breaking a sweat as well as bad advice that could be maybe keeping you from getting the score that you're going to need because credit is going to be more important than ever moving forward. We'll talk about that just ahead at 643. So uh, speaking of credit, how is your credit card debt doing these days? Are you uh, Have you got the COVID-15 points uh, subtracted from your credit score or uh, or, add, or you know extra $1,500 added to your account because of a little sloth financially? Uh, how's it look? Well, not so good. In fact, close to 80% of credit card debtors say you're concerned about making the minimum payment required during this COVID-19 situation because of various scenarios, right? You lost your job and you're worried about mortgage versus credit card bill or, you know, grocery store versus credit card bill, whatever it is. Um, we're seeing that the, the debt situation that we came into this pandemic with, which was already super concerning to us, uh, has only gotten worse. 25% of credit card Credit card debtors have taken on more debt because of this pandemic. That's up from 23% in mid-April, so we're kind of trending in the wrong direction here. And then, of course, 39% of millennial credit card debtors have added to it, up from 34% in mid-April. Doesn't seem to matter your age, your stage in life, your socioeconomic level. We're taking on more and more debt. Right. And when you have less money, you will look at that card. under If you are taking on more credit card debt, but you are still credit worthy in the eyes uh, of a card issuer, this might be a time to actually increase your credit limit so you don't bump up anywhere near 50% of credit utilization. That's the amount of credit you actually use on any given month. Do that, and you'll probably find you can maintain a credit score even as the balances are going up. It's a little trick. Ultimately, though, tricks don't uh, are, are no replacement for getting a handle on how to control your debt. Now, every Sunday, the Allworth Advice column runs in the Cincinnati Inquirer. You can see it uh, starting today at Cincinnati.com or uh, 
go down with your in your PJs and your slippers on Sunday, get it from the driveway, and you can also read the hard copy. First question that we answered this week came from John from Delhi, who said, I make more than what's allowed in order to put any money into a Roth IRA. Sorry for your bad luck, John, but we got an answer. Uh, because uh, John says, doesn't seem fair. Why can't I get that tax-free growth that everybody else is getting? And I'm getting penalized. And I could go on. I could I could expound on his question long, long, long. But, John, Amy's got a back door for you. I do have a back door that you need to walk, walk into because the IRS was shutting the front door on you because they say, hey, you're a highly compensated worker. That's the term for it. And why should you get more of an advantage shaving for retirement than someone who makes far less? You're not entirely slighted here, though, because there is a backdoor, meaning a backdoor Roth IRA. If you make more than that income limit, uh, and this is as a single person, uh, you've got an adjusted gross income of 139000 or more. If you're a couple, uh, 206000 or more. If you're making more than that, you just can't put that money straight into a Roth IRA. So you put it into a traditional IRA, and then you do a backdoor conversion. You convert it to a traditional IRA once the money, or to a Roth IRA once once the money is in that traditional account, understand this, though. At that point, you're going to have to pay taxes on that money because that's what you wanted to do in the first place, right? You wanted to pay taxes yeah. up front. Yeah, but as the lawyers would say, that's moot because you're going to have to pay the tax anyway, whether you paid it by putting it in first or you go through Amy's back door and uh, pay the tax last. Either way, as you know, our government will make sure the tax is paid. KW in Claremont County says, my 10-year-old recently got a notice in the mail that she owes money to a debt collector. Mm, how can that be? Huh? The little 4-year-old, or in this case a 10-year-old, has debts. Uh, is this a scam, or should I be concerned? And I guess my answer would be, does King Kong like big bananas? Should you be concerned? If you have a child, understand they are the holy grail for hackers, their credit information, because it is untapped and you likely won't even look at it. Say you've got a three-year-old. Maybe it's not until they're going away to college when they're 18 that you're even looking at their credit information. That's 15 years that a hacker can take that and open credit cards and do all kinds of things with it. Um, so the best thing that we would say, and I would say, uh, you know, Ed Fink, one of our founders who's retired now, has always been super passionate about getting this message through. Protect your children. Freeze their credit score. If you freeze it now, whether they're six months old or 12 years old, nothing can be done to it. Now, yes, you have to unfreeze it in order to be able to use it, but from in most cases, you're years away from that child needing to be able to take out a loan or open a credit card or apply for college. In fact, it'll even uh, if you let it go for long enough and don't tell your kids about it, it will even protect children from doing something stupid like immediately turning 21 and uh, getting three or four credit cards because they finally have a job because all of a sudden they go, oh, my credit is frozen? How did that happen? And if you haven't heard from your kids in a while, once they turn 21, I promise you, you'll hear from them. They'll be like, hey, what is the deal with my credit? And why was it frozen? And who did that? And uh, yeah, and that's when you go, okay, son, daughter, let's sit down and have the talk. And we're not talking the birds and bees here. We're talking about uh, your money and why it is that your mother and I, many years ago, when you were a little kid, froze your credit so that you could still actually have a credit score and have and not be all over the dark web now and having been abused uh, by uh, somebody uh, in terms of your credit for uh, decades by now. And it, the, the interesting part was that we fought for years here at Simply Money with one of our listeners to finally get some laws on the books. And then almost as soon as we got the laws on the books, that everybody woke up and went, oh, uh, 
Right. Yeah, the federal should... government made it a law that you can freeze yeah. your child's credit and not have to pay for it. You used to have to pay for it. So go to the three major credit bureaus, TransUnion, Equifax, and Experian. Freeze the credit there. It is a step that you'll take now, and you will never regret it. And what? It, and, and listen, and if anybody, and if there is, even if there is at some point to unfreeze it, a little charge, big deal. Because otherwise, what you will wind up with is a big deal. And it won't be. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. One that you like, and it won't be one you'll find among the definitions of the word fun. It ain't going to be there. Now, what do you need to know before you go taking that life insurance policy that we tell you to get rid of and cash it in? We'll give you our advice just ahead of 634. You're listening to Simply Money on 55KRC, the talk station. You're listening to Simply Money tonight. I'm Amy Wagner. The jobless numbers continue to paint a very bleak picture about the fact that many of us just don't have a paycheck coming in anymore. And as you try to figure out, how am I going to pay the bills? There are a number of things you might think about. Uh, Maybe it's taking money from your 401k. Maybe it's that you have a whole life insurance policy, and maybe you want to take some of money out of that. Joining us tonight with what you need to understand, what you need to think through and know about, Britt Riley, a certified financial planner at Allworth Financial. Uh, He is an expert in insurance. Uh, Britt, I think people might be tempted by this if they have these kinds of policies right now because it's pretty scary times for a lot of people. So, yeah, and the whole concept of having cash value life insurance is to allow you to ultimately access that cash in case of an emergency. And so um, there's a couple of different ways that a person can pull money out. They get fairly esoteric in terms of, you know, what which one would work better for you as an individual. And so you really should consult with a professional as you start to think about this and, and look at what are the impacts of that. Britt, let's back up a little bit and talk about term life insurance versus whole life insurance because many people have term and, and there's no cash value to draw out of it. So explain the difference between those two policies. So effectively, when you're looking at term insurance, it, it's um, an issue of allowing a person to buy a large amount of coverage for a very affordable premium, and it's because those policies come with an effective expiration date. So you can generally buy a a price guarantee on a a level death benefit coverage that will last for 20 or even 30 years. So you've got a young family, and you're working, and they're counting on your income. Uh, You know that if something were to happen to you, you need to uh, support through the kids going off to college and things like that. So that's why it's called term. After that term is up, the insurance insurance benefit has expired. Um, But let's talk about why someone might consider a different kind of insurance. So when you think about having a desire for longer-term coverage, um, meaning you've identified a permanent need, and that used to be for estate taxes, although that's not really relevant for most people anymore, um, a, a, a really common need that we address is, is if you have a child who may 
be a lifetime dependent, somebody that has some special needs. Um, and, and you want to provide permanent coverage and, and a guarantee that you can provide for that child after you're gone um, is a really common reason. So when you're looking at a policy that will last for longer than a term limit, you're looking at a cash value policy. And a whole life policy is one that allows you to lock in and guarantee a premium for the rest of your life. And it will come with a buildup of value inside that policy. So there's two so, kind of parts to this insurance, right? There's the, the death benefit, but then there's also that cash value. Correct. And the cash value, if you die, sometimes it's added to the value of the death benefit, sometimes not. There's some variance in the way the policies are structured. Um, but generally, the cash value component is looked upon as something that can be accessed in a time of need. Now, if you take money out of a life insurance policy, you're going to reduce the value of that policy at your death. And there can be some further issues with pulling money out of a policy uh, in terms of taxation that you should be careful of. Um, there's the ability to take a loan against your policy's value where you would avoid any taxation, but ultimately start to pay an interest rate or you can see the value of that loan start to escalate each year based on an interest rate that's charged against the money you borrowed. You're listening to Simply Money tonight here on 55KRC. Joining us, Britt Riley, certified financial planner on the Allworth team, also um, knows a ton about insurance. He's our insurance expert, and we know that there's people out there tonight who are hurting, who don't have paychecks coming in and are trying to figure out where money could come from, where you can get cash quickly. And for those of you who may be thinking about turning to something like your insurance policy that might have a cash value, uh, Britt's providing his perspective on that. Britt, you mentioned the fact that if you're going to take this money out, it's going to diminish uh, the value of the death benefit at the end. I think the hard thing, the really difficult thing about these decisions that a lot of people are being forced to make right now is um, a short-term solution that will continue to have long-term consequences. It, it is very much uh, a very difficult decision. Yeah. Um, I, I look at it in certainly a time like this, a, an unforeseen catastrophe for many people um, may warrant dramatic, drastic, you know, solutions. And, you know, consequently, just be aware of the implications of tapping the value of a plan in that you will directly reduce the value of your death benefit. And, and if you pull a large amount of money out, you may jeopardize that policy's long-term survival. And, and so obviously it's a, it's a measurement that you need to weigh on an individual basis to see, you know, it, if, it's, if it's a last resort solution, that's kind of what it was there for in the first place, and you're, you're insuring yourself in some ways against the impact of that catastrophe. And for those who are considering this right now, um, and, and I, I think this also applies to those who are thinking about taking money out of a 401k, make sure you're consulting with an advisor, someone that you trust. Because, Brett, how many times have you had someone come into your office or give you a call and say, I need some money, I'm going to tap into this or tap into that, and you're able to kind of talk through it, and, and ultimately it doesn't make sense. It's not the best solution for their problem. Uh, quite a few times, and, and honestly, the 
where I see is even a bigger problem is where they haven't sought advice um, and they've gone ahead and done something like take a loan against their policy without really understanding the implications and then allowing it to go unchecked for a long period of time. Um, you know, go into this process uh, with consulting an expert and go into it with, with eyes wide open to what you may need to do in the future. Because if we create a problem now and leave it to grow unchecked, it just gets worse and worse and worse. So for those considering to, tapping into this cash value policy, ask question after question after question until you are 100% certain that you understand all the ramifications of taking that money out. As well as, and, and particularly the tax implications, because again, uh, I, I, there's nothing worse than kind of solving a short-term problem and then turning around and, and getting a huge tax bill that creates a whole nother problem for you right again at the beginning of next year. A lot to think about. Great perspective tonight from Britt Riley, Certified Financial Planner on the Allworth Financial Team. For those of you uh, considering uh, taking money from your life insurance policy early, there's a lot to think through there. You're listening to Simply Money tonight here on 55KRC. We are the talk station. You're listening to Simply Money. I'm Nathan Beckrack along with Amy Wagner. Ready for a vacation? (laughs) Of course you are. But now... What do you need to know about travel insurance? The fine print? Yeah, we're going to dive into it at 6.53. Not all advice is good advice. I would tell you sometimes free advice is exactly uh, worth what you pay for, it, particularly if you take it and it doesn't work out. But tonight, we talk about some of the credit myths, and these are the myths that can actually hurt you. Now, you've maybe heard this one before. You have credit card debt, you're struggling with it, and someone says, well, just refinance your house. Put the money toward your credit card debt. Pay that off. Understand this. When you should refinance your house is if you want to lower your interest rate on your mortgage and maybe lower your monthly payment. That makes sense. But when you refinance your home to free up money to pay down that credit card debt, what you're doing there is you're converting unsecured debt, that credit card debt, to secure debt, the mortgage. Say you get to a place where you can't pay that off, like you couldn't pay off your credit card bills. All of a sudden, the situation that you put yourself in has gone from unpaid credit cards to looking at living on the streets because now all of a sudden you're in foreclosure, you can't pay for your, your house payment. Yeah. Let me, let me put it maybe a little kinder. If you miss uh, and you're 30 days late on a credit card payment, yeah, that'll drop your score some points. All right. But that's not like, uh, oh my goodness, don't ever talk to, to Nathan again because he missed a credit card payment. However, when it comes to mortgages, Let's just simply say your banker is very, very persnickety because it's expensive to get that house back. It's a big amount of money, and you putting that loan, even in the slightest bit of question mark or jeopardy with a banker, they kind of go, uh-oh, what's going on with you know Nathan? He missed the mortgage payment. And I can tell you, in the days when I was horrible with money in my youth, I had a choice between making a car payment and making a house payment, all right? Uh, well, the car got repossessed, all right, by a credit union I eventually become a, the vice president for, which is a whole other story for another it day. It all turned out okay for you, but... Yeah, but I paid the home mortgage, 
And that ultimately wound up being a much better solution because you can get the car back. Once foreclosure starts on a house, nothing but expensive, and it is devastating to your credit score because it's just it's sort of like the high water mark. And boy, if you hit it's like the hundred year flood, and if you miss the mortgage payment, you're in deep yogurt. Here's some more bad advice that we hear, um, that your debit card is just as good as a credit card when it comes to building credit. This is the other side of the coin of those of you who come up to us and you say, you are going to be so proud of us because I cut up all of my credit cards. Great. So you think maybe you can substitute the debit card for that. Understand your debit is only attached to your checking account. Uh, it doesn't It doesn't have anything to do with your credit score. It does not show how responsible you are with credit when it is given to you. So however much you put on that debit card, however much you pull out of the checking account is going to have absolutely zero, zero impact on your credit score. So let's talk about something that does have a good impact on your credit score, your spending, which matters actually more than your income. And this is, I think, a myth that's out there, right? Like, I make a lot of money. I have a good credit score. No, 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 no. Credit score does not care if you make 15000 50000 500000 They care about how responsible you are with your spending. If you can handle debt and you pay it off in a timely manner, you can pay your bills on time, uh, you know, the other things that go into determining that credit score, those matter far more than your income. Your income only matters as far as are you spending enough, that, are you making enough to pay off your bills? So as we're talking about credit here and the credit myths here on Simply Money, um, try this one uh, on for size. Uh, once you damage your credit score, oh, that's it. Can't be rebuilt. So what the heck? Just, uh, just drive it in the ground because, you know, it's already beyond repair. So does it really matter? Well, here's the thing, Nathan. You just threw yourself out there. And, and I love the fact that we, you know, can be so open on here about our past mistakes. You had a car taken from you, right? 40, 40 years ago. Yes. So you were in a place where obviously credit, your credit score was not so great at that time. And yet right. here you are. And at one point you had an absolutely perfect credit I hit score. Eight, I did hit 850. Thank you very much. There you go. You've mentioned it only maybe once or ten Twice a week. Times. Yeah, I know. I know. Don't I, <laughs> don't I look good? that's a good, good thing. Yeah. Well, mm -hmm. and I think you probably appreciate it so much more because you were in a place where it looked like you were in the valley and never going to climb out. Britt Scarce from Memory Federal Credit Union. We have him on all the time talking about credit. Why is Britt so good and convincing about why you need to care? Because he, he had a because he was in a place where he, he was in a, a he situation. was a disaster. That's a nice way yeah, to put it. He, he was, was a total disaster. He trainer. was a disaster. So here, <laughs> here's some good advice. Your credit utilization matters. How much of your credit you actually use is more important maybe than anything else that you do. And the game, and it is a game with uh, with uh, credit scores, is this. If you've got $10,000 worth of credit and you're using 6000 of it, you've got a 60% utilization record. However, if you go and get $20,000, get another $10,000 worth of available credit, don't use it, and all of a sudden you spend $6,000, your credit utilization on 6000 to twenty is 30%. And then all of a sudden, guess what? At 30% or less, the credit score agencies love you because you're not using all. Yeah, you've all, and that's the game. And I hate to say it. But that is a game. Uh, and so uh, keep that in mind. And then finally, checking your credit hurts your score. True or false? Yeah. Another myth there, of course. Um, understanding this, if you're checking your credit score 
nothing happens there. It's good to know, right, where you are. I mean, don't check it obsessively, but, you know, I might check mine once every couple of weeks, and that's probably too often anyway. But yeah. uh, it's the hard inquiries, right? How often are you opening up a credit card? How often are you refinancing something? Those are the hard inquiries that have an impact negatively, not you checking. And get a good score. It will save you money on interest big time over the course of your life. So keep an eye on your credit. It's a critical part of your financial life. Travel insurance. All right. We're going to finally tackle the, is this really worth it? That's ahead at 653. You're listening to Simply Money on 55KRC, the talk station. You're listening to Simply Money. I'm Nathan Backrack along with, is that Charlie Daniels? Well, no, actually, it's Amy Wagner. We've got Charlie Daniels as the music bed. What do you think about when you think about a Harvard degree? I think, whoa, really smart people. I think the chance to interact with and just learn from really smart people. And I know they're smart. I'll tell you how I know they're smart at Harvard. Often when I hear them talk about something, they've actually been able to make it simple enough that I can understand that. That's why I know they're smart sometimes over there. But... That, to, that experience, it's about to go through a major change. It is. In fact, they have announced that the 2020 college experience at Harvard will take place completely online. Uh, we actually have a, a good friend from Northern Kentucky, A.J. Diltz, super, super smart kiddo, uh, who was in Harvard, was at Harvard last year as a freshman. His mom had to rush up there in, in March to, to bring him home. Uh, and I wonder what students are thinking right now, because the campus itself is so iconic. The way that they do how you live in, uh, together in, in the dorms and things like that, there's so much history. And uh, to spend $65,000 a year and take classes from Northern Kentucky, uh, the ba- basement in Northern Kentucky, and call that a Harvard degree. I think there's probably a lot of people, a lot of parents at least, struggling with the cost of that tuition from home right now. Well, H1M1 visas for uh, students outside of the United States who are going to go to Harvard and who are going to uh, attend classes are now not going to be granted those visas to just come to the United States to sit in front of a computer at some. Uh, some apartment building somewhere. So the 2020 college experience about to undergo a big change. However, one thing so far not changing that seems to be the price. Not the, not at all. And you know what? I think the one thing that's even more impressive than going to Harvard is going to Harvard Law. And, and this is so interesting because a lot of the law students, when this was announced, uh, said, Mm-mm, we're actually going to sue you, Harvard, for breach of contract because we right. signed up. Right. Think about well, you the can promise. tell they're going to be great lawyers, probably yeah, all personal injury like at this getting, point. And they are just getting out ahead of the crowd with their first lawsuit before they even get out of school. And it's against, of course, the school that they're going to because they're saying we we t- held up our end of the deal. Right. We applied to law school. We paid. We registered for the classes. You're supposed to offer this in class experience with, I'm sure, some of the brightest legal minds in the world, and you're going to give me Zoom University? Thanks, but no thanks. And it'll be interesting to see how this whole lawsuit plays out. Well, it'll be interesting to see how people's behavior actually plays out. University of Cincinnati announcing on Thursday that students will be back on campus for the fall semester. So on the one hand, you got the University of Cincinnati saying, come on down. On the other hand, you got Harvard saying, uh, don't come on down. In fact, uh, don't even get anywhere near the place because um, uh, we don't want you here. And then, of course, as we've already reported here on Simply Money, professors are going, let's see, I'm going to go into a class with a bunch of young people who seem to less appreciate social distancing than I do. That sounds like a Petri dish of bacteria. 
I'm not sure I want to show up and teach that course. So that's a third part, uh, a third stool on this uh, chair, so to speak. Whether or not we'll be able to get it to stand up straight and get your kids an education, I don't know. But I will tell you, my son signed up. He's been going to IU. was looking forward to his last year, boy, as a senior, walking campus going, yeah, I'm tough stuff. All of a sudden now, the only time he's walking around campus to go to a class will be for a painting class. That was the one easy course he's going to have. Otherwise... It's going to be a lot of work, and it's all going to be on online. And all I know is, how do you flirt with the person next to you when you're having an online course? I mean, do we have a virtual reality or actual uh, reality or something so you can take a look around at the classroom? It can't, nothing. It's just, it's all work. So many issues here, right? I mean, the, the social aspect of it, the educational aspect of it, but the financial aspect of it is the pill that's really difficult for a lot of people to swallow right now. I was just looking at some t- statistics today. Uh, the average private school tuition nine times what a college or what a community college is. So for those so, kids who are looking at online classes right now, it could be much cheaper. All we can say is good luck. You've been listening to Simply Money on 55 KRC, the talk station. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.